Sound Bible study always begins by viewing the historical and grammatical uh, lens of the text. Kind of know want, want to know where it's coming from there, the mechanics behind it. And uh, before we apply biblical truth to any text that we're doing, we need to understand the author's intent and uh, how his, his original audience understood his words. Um, you see, the truth, it never changes. But the language that conveys the truth, it's always evolving. So sometimes we have word issues, you know, maybe we don't understand. So discerning the context of words is always essential for us in, in Bible study. Well, this morning, let us consider the meaning of Jesus' words here in Matthew 6, in verse 13, where he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, looking around at the age of most in this audience here, most of us, we probably learned that verse as deliver us from evil. That's probably the way we learned it. But paneros, the Greek word here for evil, um, in its nominative case, is more literally the evil. So probably the NIV might translate it the best as the evil one. That's the way we look at it. Certainly, Jesus is not speaking here of evil as some dark, abstract force. But he's speaking as, you know, this is like an active personal power. So our very first focus today, this morning is, is on the, the presence of Satan. The presence of Satan. And um, let me begin with this ominous or threatening warning here. As we study evil, God's people must never go beyond the teachings of Scripture. That's something that we don't need to do. We must never become so intrigued with Satan or his works that we're tempted to test him or flirt with dark things, you know, that always bring harm. And the Scriptures teach us this. You know, Christians should never dabble with things like Ouija boards or horoscopes or fortune tellers or seances. You know, we must never, ever act as, as he doesn't exist or arrogantly challenge uh, you know, and insult him. You know, Jude said um, in verse 8, he warns of fools who reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, here are three facts about Satan that we've come up with. Number one, Satan is real. And I think you understand that. But Satan is real. You know, there's too many Christians in our world. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir today because I know most of you what you believe. But too many Christians in our world seem oblivious to the fact that the great conflict um, of the devil is just raging all around us. We see it every day. You know, Barner Research, they report this. They said that 60% of Americans today do not believe in Satan. Can you, that's just that's unfathomable, you know, and shockingly, something that goes even beyond that, 45% of those describing themselves as born again deny Satan's existence. How can you deny Satan's existence if you're born again? Why would you want to be born again? You know, if Satan didn't exist. 
You know, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Well, whether you believe it or not, I'm here to tell you this morning that Satan is real. You know, the Bible tells us how God created a beautiful and powerful angel named Lucifer, which means the shining one. That's what it means. He was created. He was created to serve God and reflect his glory. Now, as far as I know, Lucifer is one of only two archangels specifically mentioned um, in the scripture. But Isaiah 14 and verse 14 says, he became so proud that he was no longer content just to be the leader of the other angels under God. He became very intent with that. And he said this, he said, I will make myself like the most high. In other words, he wanted to take the place of God. So rejoicing um, um, the worship and the authority of his creator, um, Lucifer, he led a third of the angelic host in a heavenly rebellion. However, the righteous angels, led by the archangel Michael, the other archangel that's mentioned in the scripture, he defeated Lucifer and um, all of his followers were cast out. Matter of fact, Jesus said he saw Lucifer in Luke, the 10th chapter, in verse 18, fall like lightning from heaven. You know, now we know Lucifer by the name of Satan. That's the word we use most of the time, which means the adversary or the devil from the Greek diabolos, meaning slanderer or accuser. You know, now he's also called the father of lies in John 8, 44, the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the prince of demons in Matthew 9 and verse 34, the prince of this world in, in John the 12th chapter and verse 31, and the ruler of the kingdom of air in Ephesians the second chapter in verse two. Now, fact number two, Satan is the author of sin. Satan is the author of sin. Now, I believe as Christians, we have two great enemies every day that just plague us. And the first is our own carnal nature, what the Bible calls our flesh. That's an enemy. And the second is Satan. That's an enemy for sure. And too often, I believe there's many Christians, you know, we give Satan just too much blame for the things that our flesh chooses to do. We want to blame Satan for something that we come up with on our own. You know, if you remember, maybe some of you remember the um, old sitcom way back in the day, Flip, uh, Flip Wilson. Remember that? One of the things, devil made me do it. He'd do something bad or aggravating or something. He the devil made me do it. Well, too often, we give Satan just too much blames for the things that our flesh chooses to do. You know, Satan does not cause um, our evil desires. He does not cause them. But let me tell you something. He does create an environment to feed and stimulate them, and he's good at it, you see. Satan primarily attacks us through false doctrines and false ideologies. You know, his strategy in a nutshell, causes us to think wrongly about things. Now, it was last week that we learned in the message how in every circumstance, there is the opportunity to pass a test and bring God glory, or we have the opportunity to fail succumbing to the temptation. You know, on the surface, temptation is our own desires 
resisting God's spirit. But let me assure you, Satan is always in the shadows, distorting the truth about sin and the truth about sin's consequences. He's always there doing that. Satan lives to break the heart of God by causing his children to stumble. That's his mission, and he is good at it, folks. In fact, in the garden, you know, Satan is the one who introduced humanity to sin. He enticed Adam and Eve, we know that, you know, to do what their flesh wanted to do. And he did that by twisting God's words and misrepresenting God's motives. See, just like Satan, Adam and Eve, they were created um, to serve and reflect God's glory. And just like Satan, you know, they had a free will to obey or to choose their own way. And of course, we know the story. You know, they chose to listen to Satan's lies and reject God's, God's words. Fact number three, Satan hates you. Satan hates you. You know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, according to 2 Corinthians 11. But don't be deceived, folks. He wants to destroy your life because he hates you. You know, Jesus said in John 8, that he was a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. Now, let me tell you, Satan is subtle, you know, and his way often seems quite sensible to us. And almost always, Satan offers some instant gratification. You know, he knows how to tempt us. He knows how to make it work. You see, he says, you know, you can be happy right now. You know, you can feel good right now. You know, when he attacked Jesus in the wilderness, he used every trick in his arsenal you know, to, to get Jesus to reject God's hard way and long view plan and take instead kind of a, a quick and easy path to glory. He did his best to get Jesus to stumble. So Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, he wants you. He wants to devour you. He wants to just eat you up. You know, and as Satan is a, a manu manipulative schemer here, we must be very careful who we listen to. Now, you know, the devil, he'll use anything and anybody to deceive you. And he often, he uses well-meaning people, you know, to influence us. I mean, look at this illustration here in Matthew 16 and verse 23. When Jesus told his disciples that he must die, it was the apostle Peter who stood up and rebuked Jesus. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. You know, many times I've seen the church lovingly speak truth to those who are struggling with sin. I've seen, I've seen that happen. And the truth is this. The truth is, is often it's hard to hear. Because in most cases, it, re it requires repentance on someone's part. So people are tempted to reject that. Not only they reject the truth, but they seem to, seem to reject the messenger as well. You know, there are, um, inevitably, when that happens, that's the moment when Satan shows up 
with an alternative voice. Almost every time, you know, some other church or some other pastor or a friend will show them an easier path. They'll even twist um, God's words to affirm what the flesh wants to hear. We've all seen that. We're all old enough and been Christians long enough. We're witnesses to that. But always, behind the scenes here, Satan is there giving free tickets um, to the wide road that leads to destruction. He's good about handing out those free tickets, folks. You know, and folks, he will, in the end, he will laugh at our gullibility. You know, he'll delight in all the ruin and all the pain um, that he left in our wake. Remember this, don't be fooled and never forget that Satan hates you. And there's not a moment that goes by that he thinks any different. He hates you and me as Christians because he wants to hurt God in the worst way. So he does it through God's children. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But you see, in our prayers to God, when we say deliver us, that's really, it's an affirmation of our faith in God's ultimate sovereignty. You know, we understand that. Yes, Satan rules here and he rules now. But as kingdom people, you know, we know that we're now sojourning or we're, or we're residing, maybe a better word, behind enemy lines. Um, so we must have God's deliverance. Folks, understand this. Satan is a terrorist, and there can be no negotiation with him. None whatsoever. His influence can never be managed. It can never be legislated away. It can never be minimized by treatment or therapy. When the devil, when the evil one attacks us, he must be utterly defeated. So we must take our stand, we must dig our heels in and cry out for God's deliverance. <clears throat> there was a story told of a man who every week in his Bible study group, he prayed, Lord, please clean out all the cobwebs in my life. Every week, he would come up every week over and over and over, Lord, please clean out all the cobwebs in my life. But finally, a faithful sister prayed, Lord, we thank you for cleaning out all the cobwebs in our brother's life. But this week, could you just help him kill the spider? <laughs> According to Jesus, the answer to the evil one will not be found in any religious rituals, but in divine deliverance. You know, if we don't utterly defeat him, he will just make more webs every time. So this prayer of deliverance is really our confession that we know we cannot defeat him on our own. We cannot do that, you know, but I tell you what, the Lord can. With his help, he, you know, he can be defeated. You know, the evil one is powerful, but the final authority belongs to Jesus Christ. We don't ever need to forget that. The devil would like us to forget that, but we don't ever need to forget it. The Bible tells us to run from the temptations of our flesh. In fact, um, we're to reject every kind of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us. 
But when we're attacked by Satan's false teaching, we cannot and we must not run. Folks, that's when we need to dig our heels in. We need to stand up. And Ephesians 6 and verse 11 tells us this is time to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. That's when we do that. And James 4 tells us, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So since the devil, or, or you know, since the battle, it belongs to the Lord, we must seek his deliverance through our prayers. Second thing, the second big issue today is the power of prayer. Now, I don't need to dwell on this too long because I think you understand the power of prayer because we've seen it so much here in our church here. The power of prayer. Well, after calling us to put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6 and verse 18 commands, says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So you see, after we put on our spiritual armor, prayer is the means by which we fight here. Now, there's three ways I think we can pray, you know, for God's power to deliver us. Number one is this, pray to God to thwart evil plans. Pray to God to thwart evil plans. Now, one way God delivers us is by frustrating hell's agenda before it's ever implemented. That's one way. You know, Satan... He'll unleash all hell against us if he can. But he reluctantly acknowledges that his inability to penetrate God's hedges of protection. He knows he cannot penetrate that. He reluctantly acknowledges that. Um, in Job, the first chapter, verses 9 and 10, Satan, he's complaining to God. says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and everything else? You know, when God's hedge, when it encircles our lives, Satan is helpless to penetrate it. Something we don't ever need to forget. And we keep that hedge by constant prayer, praying without ceasing here. Have you ever, have you ever considered how much evil you would have experienced in your life if God hadn't stepped in and stopped it before it reached you? You ever thought about that? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, about the middle of the verse, it says, God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You know, the implication is if it were not for God, we might have been tempted beyond what we could bear. You know, God always, he's there and he, he, he warts off some of these things for us. But folks, that's Satan's goal. Um, but God's promise is this, that he will never allow that to happen. Think about this. Because God said that, the verse we just read, put this in your mind and marinate on it for a little while. God's people can never say, well, I just couldn't help myself. We ought not to be thinking that way. Because, see, God does not allow his children into situations where we have no choice but to sin. He always gives us an out. Every time. You know, since God is all, he's always on the throne, Satan's coups are never a threat. Proverbs 21, verse 30 says this. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed 
against the Lord. If you believe that, say amen. 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 You know, that includes the plans of the most powerful amen. angel of darkness. Our prayer for deliverance affirms God's sovereignty, God's power, and his promise in our lives. Hubert Gesorg, he was a Christian pastor in Germany. Just as Hitler was began his solidarity to power there, and his faith had led him to oppose the Nazis. And fortunately, he was exiled rather than executed. But the night before he left his beloved Germany, he walked the streets of Hamburg, just battling a great spiritual depression. And in this depression, you know, he was just kind of thinking, what hope is there? He was so depressed. What hope is there? Demonic forces are just triumphing, you know, and, and kind of like maybe sometimes what we think about our own country sometimes right here. But then he heard an organist playing the old German hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the words came to him, and though, and, and though, his, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Wow. Folks, no matter how dark it may seem, God is still on the throne. Amen. We don't ever need to forget that. And second thing, pray for God to brace your faith in the midst of evil. Pray for God to brace your faith in the midst of evil. Now, God oftentimes, he delivers us from our enemy, not by uh, preserving us from assault, but by preserving us in assault. You know, God-empowered perseverance is really a form of deliverance, you know, and all the evil that God permits us to encounter contains within it the possibility for our spiritual growth for our blessing and eternal reward every time. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul received vision. It was so wondrous, you know, that, that he called them inexpressible, inexpressible here. Now, when you think about what a wordsmith Paul is, I think that's pretty amazing to use words like that. But God knew that such revelations here, it might tempt Paul, you know, to be, you know, to, to spiritual pride. So look at how he chose to deliver him here. And starting with verse 7, going through verse 10 here. Because of these, surprise, these surpass, surpassingly great revelations, they're in order to keep me from becoming conceited um, because I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Satan's plan all along was to destroy the Apostle Paul. But God's plan was to build him up and protect him from evil. So God allowed Satan to bring this trial into Paul's life 
And then he used that very trial to protect Paul. No, it was through Paul's prayers here that he received a revelation about what God was doing. And I tell you what, it's oftentimes it's through our prayers. You know, as we say, deliver us from evil, that God reveals us or reveals to us, you know, how he's working for us. Folks, it, when you just think about the whole scheme of things, the way God takes care of us and the way he protects us, isn't it just amazing how God uses the serpent to bless the servant? Isn't that pretty amazing? There was a young Texas man. He was bitten by a rattlesnake as he was working in his family's oil field. And as someone that lived in Texas and never seen an oil uh, well up close, I went to see one. There was more rattlesnakes in there. They were hissing and striking my truck as I was driving through. They scared me. It's like, this ain't for me. I don't. And then I was convinced as I was leaving, there was rattlesnakes stuck underneath my truck. So I couldn't get out of the truck. And I was scared to do that. So I found a stream and I drove my truck down in the stream to drown the snakes. <laughs> I don't do snakes. So I understand when they, when they talk about snakes in Texas, there's some snakes in Texas. They play games. They have rattlesnake roundups there. I won't even go into that. We won't explain that. Um, but, but this family... Um, all, all backslidden churchgoers here, they rushed him to the hospital because he had been bitten by a snake. And they hadn't been to church in, in a long, long time. Well, after the doctor treated him, the doctor said, well, all we can do now is pray. And uh, as none of them had they prayed in a long, long time, you know, and they didn't think God would even hear their prayers, they asked this old pastor to come and pray over their loved one. Well, the pastor did. He pulled the family all together in a circle here, and he prayed this. He said, Lord, thank you for your wisdom in sending this snake to bite John and bring him to his senses. <laughs> now I ask you to send another snake for Sam and one for Frank and a really big one to bite the old man. <laughs> Lord, your one tiny snake has done more than all my preaching. So I pray, Lord, for bigger and better rattlesnakes. <laughs> I promise I will never pray for God to send snakes on you. <laughs> but I know this. I know God never accidentally wounds us. You know, and there may be people, maybe some folks here today, you know, that can testify of a time when God's grace brought them through an encounter with the evil one that resulted in a greater appreciation for the sufficiency of God. And I guarantee you there's folks that can say that here. I know I can. You're old enough to, and old enough in the faith that I'm sure you've had that experience. You know, can you think of a specific time where an attempt by the evil one to hurt you, it only strengthened your faith and your understanding in God's amazing grace? Can you think of a time? I'm sure you can. You know, I'm not asking you to repeat it, but I'm sure everybody has a story that they can share like that. Number three. Pray that God would bring good out of evil. Pray that God would bring good out of evil. See, God does not erase all evil, but he does transcend it. You know, God, he reigns from heaven over everything the enemy attempts here on earth. And of course, the most convincing proof of this truth is the cross. 
You know, the cross was evil's finest moment. Man, they gloried in that. But God took hell's best shot, and then he worked all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, as it says in Romans, the eighth chapter, and verse 28. There was an illustration that Tony Campolo, um, he used to tell as being a true story. of a, And he tells this of a time when he was asked to speak at a, a small Pentecostal church. And the hour before he spoke, the church's elders took him aside. They took him to a back room and they lay hands on him and they prayed over him. And well, each man prayed for a long, long time. You know, and one of the men never even mentioned him or the service in the prayer. Instead, he prayed for almost 10 minutes for a man named Charlie. You know, and he said, Lord, you know Charlie um, Stolfus? He lives in the silver trailer a mile down the road off exit 212. Lord, you know the one. It's 722 Lake Road, the second trailer from the end on the right-hand side. Well, tired of kneeling and having eight guys leaning on his head, you know, Campolo, he was pretty sure that God didn't need an address or directions to this man's house. But the man kept on praying. Lord, Charlie told me he's leaving his wife and three kids. You know, he told me that he was walking out on his family tonight. Oh, Lord, come down, step in, and do something to bring that family together. Well, Finally, when the prayers were over, Tony Campolo, he went to the pulpit, he preached, and as soon as he could, after the service, he jumped in his car, he began his four-hour drive home on Pennsylvania Turnpike. Well, about a half a mile out of town, he noticed a hitchhiker, and his words were this, he felt compelled to pick him up. Well, the man climbed in his car and he said, hi, my name is Tony Campolo to which the man said, thanks for stopping. My name is Charlie Stolfus. <laughs> and without saying a word, Campolo, he just, he made a U-turn at the very next exit, causing his passenger to be a little bit uneasy. And he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me here? To which Campolo said this, Charlie, I'm taking you back home to your wife and three kids. Well, that kind of freaked out old Charlie here, you know, but not as much as when he made two unprompted right turns and drove straight to a silver trailer. That really flipped him out. And as they pulled into the carport, old Charlie said, how do you know where I live? And, and Campolo said this. He said, God told me. He said, well, the man's wife, she came running out with tears streaming down her face, you know, shouted, you're back, you're back. You know, she was pretty excited about all this. And, uh, the more the man began whispering in his wife's ear, the bigger her eyes got. So you can imagine what this man was telling his wife. Then Campolo said this with authority. He said, you go sit down at the kitchen table because I'm going to talk to you and you're going to listen. And he proceeded to introduce Charlie Stolfus and his wife to Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalms, the 91st chapter, verse 14 and 15 says this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. 
are any of you in trouble? You know, has the devil just surrounded you and just pressing down on you? Let me tell you something. Call on God because he knows how to deliver. He knows how to deliver. And right now, in this moment, God wants to bring good into your life. And I want you to ask all of you to answer this question. Not out loud. This is just answer to yourself. God, please deliver me from blank. God, please deliver me from blank. You know, right now, you fill in the blank. And you get your answer, answer just crystal clear in your mind. You know, what is the situation? What is it that the evil Satan has brought into your life from which you need God's deliverance today? I'm going to close this with prayer for all of us, you know. But as I do, would you bow your head and you pray with me for God's divine deliverance on your life? And talk about the blank you just filled in. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we pray to you because we know that you're almighty God and you have the power to answer our prayers. Father, we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Father, as you send your answers to us, we pray that we'll obey. And Father, we just love you. And we thank you in advance because we know as your people, you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen.